Welcome to the Path 5 Podcast. The Path 5 team is a dedicated group of professionals hailing from diverse backgrounds, all anchored in making the world a safer place. Thanks for joining us while we dive into today's topic. What is up, folks? It's your boy, Bronio, back at it again with another Path 5 Podcast. We got a whole whole host of characters for you today we got da vinci in the house we got irish midas is always here as you know so the whole crew got together and we've been we've been seeing all this news about wagner group or voigner group or however it may be pronounced and das wagner even though they're uh russian not german there's there's a there's a lot that uh goes into that yeah, yeah, there is some, Which some I, composers, some Hitlers. Yeah, yeah, I might have to touch on that. Um, but I definitely want to give a big thanks before we get rolling. Um, Mission First Tactical, one of my favorite people to uh, work with. They're always coming out with new hot stuff. AR platforms, you know, holsters, all sorts of amazing accessories for whatever you're trying to build. Definitely go check them out. And if you do, Path 5. All one word, all uppercase. At that checkout, it's going to get you 20% off. Also, big shout out to PSA. We got that affiliate rolling. Check out the Insti for that. On our link tree, we got what? PSA. Yeah, we got uh, we got PSA. We've got a link to F5 Manufacturing. We've got links to Mission for Tactical. We've got links to uh, our homies over at Locks. Kicking it in Pennsylvania, keeping it real. Uh, we've got Aero Precision. Forget. We've got PSA. We've got quite we've a few got affiliate all. links. So yeah. basically, yeah. Insti might not want you to know this, but there's a lot that you can get done just using our little link tree in the bio there. Or, our, our, what is it, Home Camp or Campfire or something like that? Uh, it is our, um, our campfire Yeah, uh, because real link folks trees. get outside. Or campsite. <laughs> Sorry, campsite. There we go. Yeah. So check out that link in the bio. It'll give you everything that you need. And, you know, I got to say, when I first started hearing about this PMC or, or whatever they might actually be pop up, I, I really didn't know much. So we decided to break it down and kind of dive in. So we're going to take you along on that trip. And I'm going to kick it off with a little bit of history about Wagner. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar... Wagner Group, or Grupa Wagnera, if you will, they kicked off in uh, 2014 with the annexation of Crimea, which, if you were paying attention at that time, kind of seemed like it could have been the start of World War III, a lot less than uh, what's currently going on. What's currently going on is obviously higher tensions. Um, yeah, it's um, it's really going on for them. Yeah. <laughs> It might not be going on for you, but it's definitely uh, going on for them. But so this group was allegedly, and I say allegedly because there have been a couple of different claims, uh, founded by a gentleman by the name of Dmitry Utkin, Utkin, um, something along those lines. So Dmitry here, he got to start back in the first and second Chechenian Wars, uh, which if you've been oh, paying dude. attention, that was a uh, interesting time. <sighs> those was, are uh, gnarly. We need yeah. to do an episode on those. We could do a, a whole season on those. It yeah, maybe we could like things. 
have Hezbollah come on, talk about Dagestan <laughs> a little bit, you know. But yeah, that was the mid nineties to early thousands. I actually think like oh eight now that I say it, but um he was working as a commander of a special GRU unit, um, which is kind of their version of military intelligence, but it's also kind of a lot more. So GRU is crazy. Um, they seem to have their hand in absolutely everything. You look at the U.S. intel world, and it's, I, I say, somewhat compartmentalized, but, I mean, there's a, yeah, lot, I mean, a lot of U.S. intel agencies. I mean, sure, every sure. branch, and then you know, the big three letter ones and then some other letters that you probably didn't even hear of. Um, But the Russian Intel world's kind of broken into three main entities. And I'll try and make some comparisons as I go along. They have GRU, which I'll get into. They have SVR, which is their like foreign intelligence service that's closest to the CIA. Um, And then FSB, which some people kind of make connections between FSB and the old Soviets there. Um, I kind of see it, but I see it more with GRU. Um, yeah. FSB is more similar to the FBI. They handle internal things. Um, mm-hmm. But GRU kind of overlaps with SVR because it is foreign, but GRU directly reports to their general staff of the armed forces. So uh, it's it's like I said, it's tough to draw a direct line to the United States. Um, they've been associated with everything between cyber attacks and assassinations. They run their own special forces groups, which is pretty insane. Um, but for military connections, I would say the closest American equivalent would be like a weird mixture of DIA and a few others. But I'd like to hear what uh, Midas has got to say, and then we'll kick it to Da Vinci real quick. Yeah, Midas. I mean... I- I've always been interested in in the GRU because of what you just captured. They're they really contain a a large variety of functions, and ultimately, the GRU is kind of like what we all would love military American military intelligence to be. Um, but instead, it's just a bunch of sad people giving powerpoints on weather to uh colonels which is really unfortunate savage yeah it's like if you mix the cia with Mossad, then you'd you'd actually be able to do something well yeah it's it's funny that you say it's what we wish that american intelligence military intelligence would be when uh i'm pretty sure that the gru formerly known as the organization or the band known as kgb uh, yeah, <laughs> well, they the stole that. Group. Yeah, the, yeah, they uh, they totally stole that from old Wild Bill Donovan and the OSS. Uh, like that's what military intelligence used to be. So if yeah. you guys haven't heard yeah. about that, uh, old Jedberg teams back in uh, World War II, the OSS, which was the precursor to our CIA, sent in teams with American. Intel specialist, um, you know, military saboteur experts and other specialists to help support the uh, resistance movements all over Europe, mainly like Norway and parts of Scandinavia, as well as France and other areas. So, yeah, I think that's probably it's not a modern military example, but um, uh, could be a little foreshadowing there. Wait, what? <laughs> 
but I think that's probably a, a pretty close tie to the GRU. But bringing it back to bringing it back to Bro Neil and Wagner, Wagner Group. So, kind of enough of the GRU. I want to get back to Dimitri here. So he pops up working for a PMC that got started in Russia, but kind of didn't. And then he gets working for another PMC registered out of Hong Kong that's primarily made up of the higher members of the first PMC they worked for. I know there's a lot of back and forth here. They end up fighting on the side of Bashir al-Assad to protect, and I use quotations around that, Syrian oil assets back in 2013. So within one year, he gets out of GRU works for a PMC, starts up another PMC with some of his buddies in that old PMC, and now he's in Syria. All within one year. This man is on the move. PMC, I think, is a private military contractor for all you military types. Uh, We didn't – I don't know if we spelled that one out. Yeah, I don't think we did. I appreciate you you kicking that. Yeah, they're uh, PMCs or PSCs. They go by a a few different uh, letters. PIMPs. Absolutely. The ABCs, the everything. Um, so within one year, he's now in Syria working for Bashir al-Assad. And then, you know, magically in 2014, Wagner Group shows up. And it's kind of created by Dimitri. At one point, um, there was... I don't know, allegations, if you will, that it was actually started by the, by Putin's head chef. Yeah. Which. Evgeny. Yeah. (laughs) Makes some mean borscht. Yeah, he's got the borscht and and now he's got the PMC apparently. Um, But yeah, so they crop up during the annexation of Crimea. Um, And then after Crimea, my God, they bounce all over the world. Um, before, of course, swinging back to Ukraine after swelling their numbers. Um, and I'll, I'll let the gentleman here kind of dive deeper into that. But one yeah. thing that's kind of wild is that PMCs can't operate on Russian soil. Um, technically speaking, they're illegal under the Russian constitution. <laughs> so there's a, that's kind of interesting. Um well, it's not like it hasn't. That's really stopped them before. So yeah, exactly. They yeah, really Russians are big on legality. They're more um, like guidelines than actual rules. <laughs> so my thinking, and a lot of people, a lot of other people's thinking, is that they're actually operating as an unofficial arm of the aforementioned GRU. Um, and what this does is it gives Ooh. the nation of Russia a good deal of distance and plausible deniability if they act out in a way that is in accordance, you know, isn't in accordance with uh, Russia's best interests. So they can kind of wipe their hands of it if needed. Um, but look, the company shares bases with Russian military. They did in Syria. I'm sure they've done elsewhere in the world. They fly around on Russian birds. There's some so, reports saying that they're using Russian ministry healthcare. So to me, if it quacks like a duck, it might be a Russian state-sponsored paramilitary company. Well, dude, and, and, and we're going to get into this in greater detail, but that's the part that kind of blows my mind, right? I, I can totally understand because 
all oh, see, you know, all of us that were in the military on this podcast have all been overseas on combat deployments and we've all had contractors living in our compound, right? In some regards. So that part's mm-hmm. not too weird, but the weird part for me is when they're stateside, the fact that they operate out of Spetsnaz compounds, they have yeah. massive recruiting offices. And it, in some sense, I look to that almost like Lidos or some of those big U.S. contracting firms that just advertise online. But can sell us and yeah, but you don't see like Lidos recruiting videos rivaling the you know be all you can be shit, right? Yeah, it, this is it's just very it's very different. So I would just encourage our listeners as we're moving through this podcast as we're taking a stroll down conversation Avenue. Uh, don't necessarily get too wrapped up in drawing American or Western comparisons and just remember the fact that <laughs> not everyone is the same, right? Like people and cultures view things differently in some regards and, and that's okay. We just have to, understand that this is very different right yeah absolutely and i think no go ahead no go ahead well i think the cultural point is really good uh i think that's a very important point to make and you have to realize the culture that this uh alleged fogner group is coming out of is one of a failed communist state where everybody said well that didn't work i guess we're all uh we're going for the money now, you know, let's screw that. America seemed to do pretty well during the cold war. We were all starving. Uh, you know, I guess we're, I guess we're going that direction towards, uh, what do we have? I'm br- it's not, it's the opposite of communism, please. Uh, capitalism. we have a democratic capitalism. Republic. Oh. Capitalism, <laughs> capitalism, all right. Our system is capitalistic. Yes. I was was blanking there. So just realize that. So basically after the fall of the Soviet Union, the whole country just turned into a money grab. They're like, all right, that didn't work. I guess we're doing something different now. Yeah. And the cool thing about communism is it's capitalism, but just for like a lot less people. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like some classes of the U.S. these days. Oh yeah. yeah, it's almost. It's you mean like the county capitalism? Richest two percent got fifty percent richer during COVID, stuff like that. Mm, yeah, not to mention anything about okay. any uh, any companies that may or may not sell drugs. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I spoke very briefly on uh, on the swell of numbers for for Wagner Group here, uh, but before I hand it off to Da Vinci, I want to touch on the, the Wagner group thing uh, where the name comes from. Apparently that was Dimitri's call sign. And apparently it was Dimitri's call sign because he has a bit of a crush on a dude named Hitler. Don't know if y'all really remember him kind of popping off in the late thirties and forties over there in Germany. Like the, uh, the Adolf variety. Yeah. The Adolf variety. Oh yeah. And, that uh, asshole. Yeah, Sorry. so let's try not to swear. <laughs> well, apparently one of his favorite composers was uh Wagner and 
apparently that's where Dimitri got his call sign. And also apparently, and I don't know if this is a Photoshopped photo, I haven't done any analysis on the photo itself yet, but apparently there's a shirtless photo of Dimitri and he has the SS lightning bolts tattooed on his chest. So he's not really sounding like a good guy. And it's also not sounding like you would want to fight a war to quote unquote, remove the Nazis from Ukraine. And one of the primary forces is run by a dude that has literal SS lightning bolts on his body. So yeah, with that sounds like a said, confused young man. Yeah. He's, it seems like he's going through a lot. Um, and it seems like the uh, company itself went through a lot of changes. Da Vinci, you want to shed any light on their buildup? Yeah, it sounds like your puppy's gone through some changes too. He's hitting puberty over there. It's a, it's a foster dog, <laughs> and I want him gone so bad. <laughs> well, good on you, though, for, uh, for doing some good in society, fostering some pups. All right. Uh, what's up, guys? I'm Da Vinci, and I'm talking a little bit about some of the pre-invasion stuff. Um, so as Broneal brought up, uh, this kind of all started coming into the light, the, the Wagner sort of, uh, ghost group that nobody could really pin down, um, back in, uh, 2013, 2014 Syria, um, Crimea, all those shenanigans. But it wasn't really like one specific company that anybody could pin down. It was sort of a conglomerate of uh, logistics companies and private security contractors and investment groups. So it was kind of a weird conglomerate that they just kind of pinned with the the uh, the Wagner uh, call sign. I guess they stole Dimitri's call sign and turned it into a call sign for the entire conglomerate of different companies sort of run by a little small group of oligarchs um, associated with the Russian government. Then moving into pre-Ukraine invasion, you know, circa 2020, um, uh, about a year prior we start seeing some more recruitment in different cities like Midas was talking about. Estimated at least 42 different Russian cities have these Wagner Group recruiting stations. Like, I don't know if it's the same for them as it is for us. Like, you got, you know, the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force. I guess now we have Space Force, but they're probably just still in the Air Force office. And then, like, Wagner Group and crappy strip malls all across Russia. Is that... Are they doing the same thing? I don't know, but yeah, it sounds like yeah we've got recruit we've got recruiting stations all over the place. Seems a little fishy, but they are recruiting mostly in uh, the veteran community and the general public, similar to uh, the armed forces. Then, in the initial kind of build up phases and during the invasion and now war in Ukraine. I'm, I'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast, you may have seen some of the videos of prisoners being recruited in prisons to join this group. If you haven't, do do a little research and uh, see some of those videos out there. That's a little crazy. Um, but 
we start seeing a shift more from the professional soldier into more of a mercenary slash uh, felon <laughs> getting out of jail to work for these guys. So um, as far as their armament, we're looking at some kind of mixed reports. It sounds like they were somewhat well-equipped initially, and it seems like they've sort of fallen prey uh, similarly to the Russian army uh, with similar logistical issues and their equipment has slowly degraded over the course of that. But yeah, Midas, what do you got? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I mean, we've seen all kinds of pictures, everything from suppressed uh, PKMs all the way to Russian troops seemingly with, rusted up Mosins yeah, in like, combat. So it's just like this huge dug those up from World War II. Yep. Right. Of, of technology. And it, it's really interesting. And it, it seems almost like they've got this like autocratic method within Wagner still. It's like, you've got your, your super low level, your prisoners, which are basically your cannon fodder. And then you've got some of your, your veterans or maybe like your GRU ish reps that have some really good kit. So it's, it's interesting. I'm not really sure what the rhyme or reason is, you know, with, without being within their ranks, it's hard to tell, but there's, there's a very wide variety. So yeah, you're touching on that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it does seem a little weird. And like you said, there might be some kind of a strange sort of autocratic, uh, system in which they obtain these armaments and vehicle because you're looking at guys that are rolling around in you know beat up sedans all the way to fully like armored personnel carriers so we've got a vast discrepancy between different areas that you're looking at and it might be one city over or one section of the line which we'll talk about a little later this private military contractor seems to have an actual piece of the front line in this war, which is a little odd, but uh, we'll talk about that a little later. But this group is not only made up of prisoners all the way to professional soldiers, but like we touched on a little earlier, they also have stations inside of Russia. And there's one one base in particular in Molkino. I'm not sure in the pronunciation on that, but it's in southern Russia. And it's also a Spetsnaz base which is pretty wild. Um, so never heard about that and among, among other PMCs, but uh, it seems a little fishy. But their tactics do seem to be a little more on the brutality side. They're a little more focused on kind of overwhelm with numbers, just kind of overrun fear, brutality, and just kind of a disregard for the law of war, um, kind of the established law of war that we all abide by. Um, Which kind of, that kind of makes sense though, right? And I mean, especially if they're turning to recruiting prisoners, I mean, um, I read a a story about one of the Wagner, Wagner uh, defectors that was killed with a sledgehammer on video. Uh, which appears to be their main deterrent method 
uh, to people talking about their their internal workings with Western powers and NATO. Uh, but this gentleman was doing 24 years in prison for murder. And then the, the current head of Wagner, uh, Evgeny Prigozhin, shows up to his prison and says, hey, guys, if you give me six months of your your life in combat and you survive, you'll, you'll get your freedom. So you've got a lot of dudes who are in there for some really hardcore crimes that are now able to basically work out some of that frustration and rage coupled with just the natural rage that occurs uh, during a war. That, that whole environment breeds aggression, right? So yeah. it's just a really kind of lethal combination. And may the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And this is, this is hardcore too. This isn't, I mean, we, we've seen some interesting things. I'll, I'll put it that way during GWAT and some pretty hardcore shit uh, that this team has been privy to, but, but that, that kind of stuff is, that's nutty. Yeah. Let me, um, the other comment What's up, Irish? is that, you know, the law of war, really affects your uniformed we got a little communication delay apologies yeah is there, is there, a there we go still? yeah uh it would it would appear that um California is um sapping up his internet usage probably to um promote some sort of ad for the silicon valley bank um so we might have <laughs> lost we might have lost irish on that but great point, the, though. Yeah, I think the point. I don't know if it. It's probably saved locally, so it'll probably come up in the podcast without issue. But the point that you know the rule of law, um, really pertaining to uniformed members of a state-run military, is a really good point. It's another way that they can kind of shirk the responsibility of actually having a proper fighting force by using these guys. Sure. Yeah, and, and that's the whole. That's the whole idea behind it. You know, that's the whole. Uh, purpose of utilizing a force like this um and again it's not just russia that's using people like this the u.s probably the closest equivalent that we've seen is and some of you may have heard of this company blackwater back in uh the early stages of the global war on terror uh mainly in iraq uh we saw the use of essentially mercenaries, uh, we'll call them what they are, but that is a company started by Eric Prince, who I don't believe can step foot in this country right now. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so he would be, he would be subpoenaed, um, to testify in front of Congress due to some events that took place in Iraq involving his contractors, which, uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll hold my own personal opinions on that. Um, but I, I do have it from a, uh, an individual who's an old family friend of his that he's, uh, he's doing quite well these days. So no, I'm sure. And if we get a chance to, uh, talk about it a little more at the end, we may touch on, uh, some of his ties with, uh, another, well, really the only other competitor in this game right now, which is China. 
anyway, uh, I think we're going to kick it to influence. Yeah. So a lot of great points brought up there. Da Vinci, a lot of good comparisons drawn, but once again, I want to, I want to circle back to the previously mentioned point, which is we don't really have a comparison to these guys in, in the Western world right now. Uh, not one that's well known. And with that being said, I mean, this company basically emerged in 2014, right? Spawned from the Russian oligarchy. Um, I'd be really curious to learn a little bit more of their origin story because it's, it's quite the evolution going from a concept into a PMC that's literally holding entire lines in a conventional war nine years later. Like that, that's pretty impressive. That, that's quite a lot of growth. And one of the ways that they got this growth was obviously through operations in Syria that seemed to be their, their, their kind of one hit wonder in a sense. But then all of a sudden the world was taken aback by the fact that they just expanded like wildfire because they had some successes and we're going to get get into those in greater detail later on in the podcast, but they also just entered the meat grinder, which was the, the whole conflict in Syria and didn't really come out with any resounding victories, right? We're not talking like executive outcomes in Angola in the seventies, right? These guys didn't, have any resounding victories they kind of got their ass kicked uh on quite a few occasions uh once even by the u.s which is pretty interesting but spawning out of syria and i want to delve into that in greater detail they they got into the last frontier really which is africa uh wagner has had a considerable footprint operating in Mali, Libya, and Central African Republic, to name a couple countries, Um, but as many as 20 across the world at once, mind you, with with some involvement in up to 40 per speculation. That's kind of one of those things. When you start getting into the inner workings of mineral deals and other uh, resource extraction companies and and their security teams and elements, which Wagner has been involved with, it gets pretty murky pretty quick. Uh, But with that being said, I mean, we're not talking like they had 30 dudes in Libya, right? There's, there's quite a few more up to 1200, according to us Intel estimates, uh, even to the point where they shot down an American drone in, in Libya I believe it was an MQ-9, which is, that's no small feat, right? We're not, we're not talking about um, intercepting a, a convoy and ambushing it and, and killing even a U.S. ambassador, right? Something like that seems, which is, wasn't a convoy interception, but we did lose an AMBO in, in that part of the world. Um, even that doesn't even seem like as much of a feat as possessing the anti-aircraft capability to shoot down a U.S. drone. It's pretty impressive for a PMC, I will say. Um, 
With that being said, though, their reach has also extended into the uh, CAR, or Central African Republic. Upwards of uh, 2,000 Wagner Group marks in that country. And something that we need to keep in mind here is that this is where some parallels are drawn between Wagner and Blackwater in that sense, because it, it comes down to profit. And in Wagner and Evgeny, who is their current leader, uh, Pergozin, as previously mentioned, very much a, a patriot in the sense that he says, no, we just want to win. We want to further Russia's interests abroad. However, there's still that element of what's in it for me. And a lot of times that's answered by mineral rights. Uh, they've obtained basically an entire gold mine to themselves uh, in Africa. We're, we're looking at Ukraine being a source of a lot of different minerals as well that they're undoubtedly interested in. Syria had vast amounts of oil fields that happened to be controlled by SDF or Syrian Defense Forces, which were allied with the United States, which were anti-Assad forces, uh, just to kind of start. I guess I don't even know the word. Um, I guess we'll say mucking into that swamp that is Syria and all the various armed groups existing within it. So moral of the story is, yes, there's a patriotic goal of Wagner, extending Russian interests, but there's still typically a, a resource right tied end state for them in which they can they can get quite rich and and that's that's the ultimate goal here and when you can do so by exploiting criminals that have basically been sentenced to life in, in prison in the gulag and you can send them out in the world and you get paid for them to go out and uh basically die i mean that's that's quite the business model objectively it's 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 really interesting and it seems like one of those things that could only happen in a, a russia or a china um, but I do want to get into Syria a little bit more here, guys, because this is this is a real interesting piece for me. One, it was, as previously discussed, their uh, their origin story, for the most part. Uh, and two, it's when they really got their feet wet getting into direct contact. And I think it bears the closest similarity between what they experienced in Syria with what they're experiencing in Ukraine now. And a lot of people don't realize this, but Assad's forces in Syria were backed by Russia quite extensively. Like they fielded T-72 tanks, uh, artillery, other indirect fire support. It's, it's, it's quite a bit. And in that sense, it was like their proving ground uh, to go ahead and allow the Russian military to flex its capability a little bit and see where that caught them in, in open combat. And one instance of open combat, which is my personal favorite, uh, was commonly known as the Bottle of Bottle, Battle of Kashem. And I don't know, have you guys heard about this at all? I'm not sure. It, no. I'd love to be enlightened. Uh, yeah, I, I have heard about it a little bit, but. I figured you would have a little bit, but the, the details are, are quite interesting. So let me delve into that a little bit. Uh, so let's Please go back and delve. let's go back in time. 
happen to the old time machine. Let's, the hot tub. Uh, yeah, hot tub. yeah. That's hop my favorite in the, time machine. The hot tub time machine, exactly. Let's head on back to February 2018. Just, you know, hear those bubbles, and all of a sudden you wake up and you're in the deserts of Syria. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And uh, all of a sudden. That's way worse than Aspen or wherever they ended up when they woke up from their hot tub time machine trip. I would, yeah. I would if I woke up in a hot tub time machine and I was in Syria. I mean, I guess it depends on what's going on. You know, it's, uh, it's a cool place. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely I feel, what you, feel what you're saying. It's no Aspen. Uh, so, anyhow. So, here we go, guys. Take a deep breath. Wake up with me. February 2018. You're in Syria. Oh, shit. Right? It's all good, though. It's not real. We're just here temporarily. Uh, there's a compound about five miles east, I believe, of what was basically this informal demilitarized zone put in place by U.S. forces and Russian forces saying, hey, if you're over this line, we're not going to engage with you guys. We're not really interested in World War III at this time. That, that kind of sentiment, right? Uh, well, just so happens that that main compound housed a lot of Syrian defense forces, which are the anti-Assad Bubba's who we were backing. And I say we as in the United States because I am American. I am not Canadian. Uh, my hands don't shake when I hold a gun. Uh, anyhow, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> co-located with SDF were, oopsie, uh, CAG and U.S. Special Forces. So with that being said, it's kind of like, uh, you know, having some neighbors around that you don't really want to mess with. And unfortunately, that memo did not quite make it to um, some of the pro-Assad forces that apparently, and this is where it gets a little murky, guys, I will be perfectly honest with you. The amount of Russian advisors on ground with this element that attacked that base is still fairly unknown. Uh, reasonable estimates put them around like 40, which were most likely Wagner, but it's kind of one of those things. If you get your ass kicked, you're like, no, I wasn't there. That wasn't me. It's like, well, it seemed like it was you. Uh, and it seemed like this was Wagner. So around 500 of these fighters Supported by Russian tanks, like I said, T-72, uh, might have been a T-54 in the mix. I might have got that number wrong. And there's some artillery as well attacked this base. So the base starts taking indirect fire, lands 300 to 500 meters from the headquarters. That's, that's plenty close for incoming artillery. For those of you who have not experienced that, plenty close. And... Then we started doing what we do best. Uh, I say we as in the U.S. Special Operations Community. Started spooling up aircraft. Created this hellish stack of uh, close air in the sky and just started raining down hell on pretty much everything that moved out there that was coming at this base. I mean, we're talking F-22, spooky gunship. Uh, I believe eight. I don't know if A-10s were on stage or not. Uh, F-16s, uh, MQ-9 Reapers. A whole bunch of stuff. So it it really uh, evolved into this turkey shoot for U.S. close air that were directed 
by our soft advisors on ground and inflicted a shitload of casualties on these uh, Syrian government forces. Um, engaged the artillery positions as well, which was suspected to cause a lot of the Russian contractor casualties, uh, which, which does make sense if you take a step back, look at it in the grand scheme of things. Um, ended up resulting in over 100 Syrian troops and Russian contractors killed. Uh, one SDF trooper was wounded, uh, potentially stubbed his toe while taking indirect fire, and there were no U.S. casualties whatsoever. So it was a it was a resounding victory for U.S. forces as well as the SDF forces that we were backing. Um, and, and, and here's here's the thing, and I, I do love this story because a couple weeks before that. Evgeny, as we've we've discussed, who keep in mind he was apparently Putin's chef at one point, oh, mysteriously uh, becomes. The, I think he was Putin's chef for a while. It was yeah, not like a one right. He cooked him a meal, and he happened to be this oligarch who had a PMC. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> he was a chef for a while. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which really stresses that whole concept of being connected, right? And knowing who's who and who knows, maybe he became more of a con- consigliere with him, right? Cooking him meals, kind of hanging out. Old poutine starts liking Evgeny and you never know what happens from there. So this guy ends up becoming what's largely considered to be a financier of Wagner, right? Not the founder. However, in this instance, it's noted that he had met with a number of officials in the Syrian government and the Russian military as well, basically lobbying for a more aggressive approach weeks prior to this incident saying, Hey guys, I've got this idea. I've got this different approach that will secure us more ground, secure us quicker victory. Let me take the gloves off. Let me go at it. And this was that, that real first recorded instance of that. Uh, which didn't go so well, but it does capture the the pizzazz, right? The force behind this. It's uh, it's kind of a yeah, the you know, influence, if you will, that they they have over or that right. he, he holds yeah. within the Russian military complex. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And since then, speaking of of influence. Wagner has really functioned as this extension of Russian influence all around the globe. And then from then they get into those African countries that we discussed, they start securing mineral rights. But the difference with these guys is they're so closely tied to the Kremlin that the whole concept of plausible deniability, which is so enticing when it comes to the use of PMCs as in Blackwater, right? Oh no, they shot a bunch of people who happened to be civilians in this square while they were clearly being ambushed and you can hear AK fire in the background. Well, they weren't American soldiers, so we're going to make them testify, right? So you're starting to connect these dots a little bit. Well, with these guys, they don't really have that distance. There's not that uh, plausible deniability. It's kind of out the window. So at this point, the way I see it is it's a legitimate, cheaper alternative. Not what the U.S. defense industry says, 
right? Oh yeah, contractors are a cheaper alternative to boots on the ground to uh, complete support activities. Yeah, that's mostly bullshit. These guys are actually cheaper, especially if you're using prisoners. <laughs> Facts. Yeah, it's always cheaper when you're pulling old Boris out of the gulag and telling him, you got six months, and if you make it, then you don't have to go back to the gulag. So, literally, we, it's literally call, we, call of Duty in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, just less like less porcelain, right? You have to go fight somewhere else. You're not, <laughs> right, you're not fighting in the gulag in yet. The, in the gulag itself. Uh, but let's take a quick poll uh, amongst the team members on right now. Say you're doing um, twenty to life for schwacking some peeping tom. I don't know. We'll add some sort of social. Um, justice to it but maybe maybe you're a real dirtbag like a real piece of work and you killed some people and now you're you're in the gulag for life this dude shows up one day he's like hey man give me six months to just go out there and and use the skills that got you here in the first place for me and the mentality and and you'll be free and you'll have money in your pocket who is not going to take that deal no that sounds like the best deal in the world I volunteers tribute. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to keep going back to the hunger games thing because it, the comparisons are too easy to make. It's just like T ball, man. It's just right? too easy. Yeah. 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 It, it's just like, why would these guys not sign up for it? Like, nah, man, I'm good. Let me rot out in Serbia for another 25 or sorry, Serbia. Oh, Freudian slip Siberia <laughs> for another 25 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course they're going to take that deal. It's a no-brainer. So, so all that stuff starts to starts to come together a little bit. If that makes sense. You start to get the whole picture. And what a picture it is, you know. It's it's interesting that you bring up the whole plausible deniability or lack thereof. Um cuz yeah, once, once you put it in the perspective of how close everyone is in relation, that kind of goes right out the window. Right. I'm not, I'm not Michael Vick. There's not dogfights going on in the background. It's just the foster <laughs> being insane. Bruno's got a, got a big heart. It's, uh, it's the size of a, a big, giant walrus. Yeah, it's, it's actually the size of a watermelon. My doctor is very concerned. Um, <laughs> That's but yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you know the a couple of like successful if you want to call them that uh exploits that they've had before they go into uh Ukraine before they've really come into the the limelight has been all over the place i mean the middle east africa to include syria yemen Libya, Sudan, Mozambique, Madagascar. I mean, the list goes on. And honestly, none of them are really great vacation spots. Um, so it looks like they know where they're needed, at least. Um, and for the most part, it's been centered around protecting the ruling or merging government elites and or critical infrastructure in that area. Um, I mean, in Libya, they were spying and influencing local governments and elections and 
Wagner is suspected of fighting for war rebel groups against Libya's UN-backed government, which, I mean, hey, who likes the blue helmets? But <sighs> Russia definitely does not like the blue helmets. I no. don't clarify that yeah. question. I know it was rhetorical, but I felt like it deserved Maybe, <laughs> Maybe they could send them a strongly worded email. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is really all that the UN does. Um, yeah. As I mentioned earlier, they were in Syria for a while. Um, and once they were there as Wagner Group, an estimated 2,500 of them uh, were actively engaged in those operations. And again, it's, it's interesting being an American and, and reading something along the lines of Syria's state-owned General Petroleum Corporation. It's like, oh, okay, right, that is a thing where other countries run the resources in order to, uh, to fund themselves. Um, yeah, it's kind of like Pfizer, but with energy. Yeah, with less steps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Pfizer's got a few more steps. Um, and demonetized. <laughs> um, <laughs> Midas, I believe you touched on it earlier. Um, when they when they squabbled with the U.S. in their attempt to uh, capture some oil fields. Um, but they were using in fighting against South Sudan as well. Um, they're protecting gold, uranium, diamond mines, which, I mean, <laughs> that's where a lot of well-known PMCs got their start was in African precious metals and in other mines. Um, yeah, all the good ones. Yeah, all the, <laughs> what was it, uh, executive outcomes? Yep. They yeah. got their run mm-hmm. doing that. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of, a lot of money that was made in uh, private military corporations. I mean, they were running PMCs, not Wagner Group, but other countries were running PMCs during the whole Rhodesia thing. Um, so it's, it's definitely interesting to see them kind of take the same footsteps that a lot of other PMCs took in their start, in their infancy. And now they're, They've gone from, you know, two to 400 people up to 50,000 plus people in their current fighting in, uh, in Ukraine. So it's pretty wild to watch that evolution. Speaking of Ukraine, Midas, do you want to touch on uh, Wagner's operations in Ukraine? Yeah. So I would go on a limb here and I'd say about, I'd say 90% of people hadn't heard of Wagner Group until the Ukrainian invasion kicked off. And even then it was about probably, I would, I would, I would bump, bump your numbers up there. I think I'm those are rookie sure. numbers. We gotta, I'm pretty gotta sure pump those numbers up. the only people were tracking that were people that lived in like Eastern Europe and were actually paying attention. They were like, or, wait a minute. Or us. Yeah. Or, or, you know, certain uh, military and or intelligence communities around the world. Uh, but as far as general populace, I'd pump those numbers up closer to like the 99%. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. That's true. I frequently make that mistake of assuming people are aware when they're not, <laughs> uh, no, great point. So, but you are as a listener, cause you're listening to this. Yeah, that's right. And that's why you're special. So go ahead and give yourself <laughs> a pat on the back. And a big go. old kiss. <laughs> yeah. Give yourself a big old kiss. I don't know. I guess it just depends where you want to do that. 
Okay, so <laughs> fast forward to uh, current conditions with Ukraine. Uh, Crimea, 2014 is, for all intents and purposes, the start of the war in Ukraine. It just wasn't. It was like a soft invasion, right? That was that was the time of annexation. We even did some podcasts on it. We talked about the perils of that. Uh, about a year before the full invasion took place, basically discussing Russia's annexation of Crimea, how it paralleled Hitler's annexation of Sudetenland um, pre-formal start of World War II. Things of that nature. So Wagner, basically Russia invades Ukraine. They start almost immediately encountering logistics issues. The invasion itself does not go off without a hitch. It was, it was very, very poorly performed. A lot of issues plaguing the Russian forces as they attempted to advance. Uh, not a great start. I, I think we gave it a four out of 10. Uh, not very good. And if you're curious about how we scored the actual invasion, you can go back. We have a previous podcast episode in which we scored the invasion through the lens of the American uh, laws of warfare, which is pretty interesting. It's a good podcast. Um, but very quickly, the military becomes bogged down. They need a little bit of a push. It becomes really clear that the war in Ukraine is going to be a knockdown, drag out, slugfest war of attrition. So at which point, Good old Evgeny uh, basically lobbies Putin and says, hey, I've got these guys. You already know who we are. You know what we're capable of. Get us in the fight and let's see what we can do. And immediately, just due to their tenacity and uh, their blatant disregard for the laws of warfare, uh, they, they, make some, they make some moves and they gain some ground in Ukraine and very quickly Wagner becomes a viable option uh, for the Kremlin in order to expand their reach into Ukraine, which at this point is incredibly important as they're, they're trying to push towards Kiev to break the back of the Ukrainian resistance. Um, They're unable to do so. And Wagner becomes quite entrenched uh, in this conflict alongside the Russian military. But what's really interesting for me, guys, is the fact that they were given, you know, not fully unilaterally, but they were given responsibility of large, large and key pieces of the Russian line. And let's look, let's see, as recent as, I mean, the fighting in, in Bakhmut has been going on for quite some time now, but let's just say even as recent as last week, uh, Wagner was still pretty entrenched there. And the reason why this area is super important, just for the sake of our listeners' situational awareness here, uh, the region known as uh, Donetsk Oblast, which is Bakhmut is a, a key city within that region, basically forms a wedge between Luhansk and Mariupol which have seen very intense fighting. 
so holding this region represents this really key wedge in the Russian logistics strategy that would allow them to force project into both of those regions. But if they lose this area to Ukrainian counterattack, then they really, really diminish their ability to penetrate and to secure those two regions. So, so keep that in mind. There is some strategic value in the ground itself, even though unfortunately the city has been pulverized into a pretty horrific gray ruin, which is really sad to see. Um, I do want to, I do want to put in a little caveat here for our listeners. Um, a lot of us on the team have seen the effects of warfare firsthand and they're not pretty. So we are by no means, uh, glorifying it in any way. We're just trying to step back, be a little objective, uh, maybe even sprinkle a little bit of humor on a, a very dire situation just to enable better understanding. Because when you're stressed, you don't understand as well. You're not able to comprehend as much information. So just want to want to put that out there, make sure everyone's perfectly aware of that. Um, so with that being said, guys, this is where it gets interesting. So so Wagner's given this particularly key swath of terrain for the most part. They're holding it, I would say, quite well. I mean, these guys are they're digging in. This is the kind of really close-in fighting that you really want prisoners for <laughs> at the end of the day, right? These guys have the heart. They have the tenacity and the audacity to get it done up close and personal. And that's what they're doing in these areas. But with that being said... Now they start encountering some of the same issues that the Russian military encountered. Uh, lack of logistics supply, lack of ammunition, uh, really poor strategic and even, I would say, operational leadership. Yeah, no direction and guidance or for my army friends out there, task and purpose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can be... Just so our, our listeners are aware, so you got three main uh, levels of warfare when it comes to communication and direction. So you've got tactical, uh, operational, and strategic. So tactical, think smaller teams, uh, company-sized elements. You know, hundred dudes getting it done. Which that's 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 Wagner, right? That's what they're that's their bread and butter. If they're good at anything, that's what they would be good at but then they still need to take direction from somebody just to link it into the rest of the bigger picture. And then that becomes your, your operational piece of your like 1200 man element somewhere in that range. And then your strategic piece becomes your couple thousand man element, moving the pieces around the chessboard, securing key terrain, things of that nature. Uh, so with that being said, old Evgeny starts to realize he's like, man, these guys aren't, aren't really giving us much, uh, solid direction. They're not really giving us much logistical support. My my guys are dying unnecessarily. And he he starts really rattling the cage at the Kremlin. Uh, he even calls out some of the, just, just last month, he calls out some of the main Russian war chiefs um, as traitors. He says, you guys are not giving my troops uh, proper amounts of ammunition, so they're getting killed. You're not giving them any sort of direction. They're getting surrounded and cut off. They're not being supported properly. 
this is becoming a real issue. And oh, by the way, this is all due to your negligence as military leaders. And therefore, your negligence is operating at such a high level that it, it therefore becomes treason in his eyes. And, and this is interesting for me, guys, because I agree with him in this, in this stance, right? Taking a step back. And I, I feel the same way. And I know I'm going out on a limb here and putting myself out there, but I feel the same way about U.S. Uh, military leadership and a lot of our political leadership with regards to how they handled the withdrawal out of Kabul. It was negligence to a level that was so ridiculous and inexcusable that I would characterize it as treasonous in some some ways. And you're not really going to get that. It's not going to be understood until you have an emotional stake in the game, if that if that makes sense. So... A lot of people are might be at home saying, "Oh, that that's pretty, that's pretty extreme." Uh, yes, yes, it is. But it's, I said what I meant, and I meant what I said for a, a distinct <laughs> reason. And I think it's really important, and we've we've preached this on the podcast in the past to take the time to step back from our own stances, look at the world in a, a broader aperture, and connect with our enemies or our adversaries or our, our would-be opponents and understand what they're thinking. Yeah. And to echo Midas, if you guys, uh, a similar thing happened uh, a couple of weeks ago up on the Hill. If you guys haven't um, watched the video of retired Lieutenant Colonel David Mann and his testimony on the withdrawal from Afghanistan, to the uh, House, I think it's the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, you guys should definitely watch that. And if you disagree with Midas's opinion after you watch that video, I bet you won't disagree anymore. Um, once you dig into that whole situation and what, what actually happened and hear some of the stuff that this team was involved in as far as the withdrawals and our, our partners over there and what happened to them. So it doesn't happen a lot here, but I would, I would agree. You know, I don't agree with what they're doing in Ukraine, but for right. a, com- a commander in a sense to call out people in authority saying you're, you're screwing up, figure it out. I, I, I support that, but that's about, that's about all I can stand behind on the old, old Wagner. Right. Right. Exactly. And I guess I'll, I'll wrap up my bit here. Um, You know, one of the questions that we asked as a team last week to each other was, are they truly effective? Um, I would say that if you have an edge in a combat situation and your enemy comes up against you, knowing that you're not going to follow the rules Yes, I think that there's an effectiveness in itself that that lies there. It's it's like uh, these guys have no regard for my my life, uh, for the the laws of warfare. Um, they just want to get it on all the time, and it's like okay. Yes, I think that would make them effective. Um, 
if you're the right type of leader, though, and you come up against an element like that, then you can also adopt that same strategy, uh, which can can backfire on your enemy because then at that point you're willing to get it on and then you might roll them up. So keep that in mind, right? It's, it's effective until it's not. Um, but the important part I want to make here, guys, and this is really, really interesting. You have a PMC cropping up, say 2014 timeframe. I'm sure they had their origins before that technically, right? Every, every good origin story typically takes quite a while, but as a formal organization, 2014, nine years later, they're holding an entire part of a line in an all-out conventional war. That is unprecedented. And that, that can't be overlooked. That, that's really interesting for me. Um, especially in the sense when you look at how the U.S. forces have conducted themselves over GWAT, Global War on Terrorism, largely in a, a FID capacity, which is foreign internal defense that's going to other nations training their forces in order to, say, counterinsurgencies. Um, in this sense, they moved away from that FID role that they played in Africa and Syria to an all-on conventional force, almost like almost filling the gap that Spetsnaz, that I would have expected Spetsnaz to fill, which is really interesting if you think about it for through that lens. Um, but I know, for instance, Wagner's one PMC that we've seen uh, cropping up around the world, they've got the limelight right now, but we also have some other adversaries on the horizon that are really interesting. And... And they are equally as expressive about their um, desire to project their power abroad and secure resources that are vital to expansion, things of that nature. So Da Vinci, have you seen any other murmurings of other, other PMCs, especially I'm thinking of uh, China? It's not China. Okay. I told you before. It's, it's China. 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 Yeah, well, maybe I shouldn't be, uh, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be uh, imitating our our former prez. Yeah, you might, might get, get arrested might, tomorrow. Yeah, might get rolled up tomorrow. Um, but yeah, so in the course of our research and digging more into this topic, uh, and you know, current. Uh, Current situation in the world, obviously, China is our number one competitor. Um, but they obviously maintain some similar uh, capability around the world. And we've we've talked about the Belt and Road Initiative before on this podcast. Um, if you're not familiar with that, you can research it. We're going to talk about it a little more probably in episodes coming up this year. but. Uh, China's PSCs, they call them private security companies oh. as opposed to private military companies or totally contractors. Totally so, different. <laughs> totally different thing, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's rhetoric, right? And that's something that China invests hundreds of millions of dollars a year in to right. improve their image abroad. Yeah, of course. And like Russia just straight up 
they just call them PMCs and then they say that they're illegal. So they're just like, oh yeah, these are PMCs. This is a private military contractor, but they're illegal. So it's fine. China, on the other hand, says no, private military contractors are illegal, but private security contractors, they're all good. You know, Uh. Xi Jinping and some of his other advisors are like, well, maybe not Xi Jinping, but some of the chief members of the Chinese Communist Party are like CEOs, COOs. One of the rules they have, this is just a little teaser, we'll get into it on another episode. Every Chinese PSC must be at least 51% state-owned. At least 51 so the majority control, state-owned. And there are thousands, guys. I'm not talking hundreds. There are thousands of these, not people, companies, thousands of <laughs> PSC companies in China. China's got to get that bread. 50 yeah, have, they don't. I mean, they, it, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. They have over 4, 4 million employees across these thousands of companies just in China that are public available numbers. Now, who's to say that some of those numbers might be lying? I don't know. China's always been honest before, so yeah, we should trust them. Right, but, right. Maybe they uh, have like a million aggressive janitors. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, you know, similar situation with uh, Wagner. You know, they're operating all over the world, and we can get into it more, but I just kind of wanted to give a little uh, a little taster that it's not just China that's doing this. It's uh, it's not just Russia that's doing this. Excuse me. It's also some of our other other competitors. So, Roniel, back to you to wrap it up. Absolutely. So, for those of y'all that have stuck through to the end, we appreciate it. I know that this is a pretty dense one. Uh, we're coming in at just over an hour and, and some change, but man, we've touched on a lot. Not only the history of Wagner Group, but what they've done pre-invasion, post-invasion, the way that they're being worked on the battlefield, not as a static security element, but actually as part of the front line has just been an insane exchange compared to what we know PMCs to be, or in China's case, uh, PSCs. I'm looking forward to that talk, Da Vinci. I think that's going to be a real good one. Heck Uh, yeah, man. It'll be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. But until then... We hope that you're all doing well. We hope that you're all taking a little bit of time to uh, gain some perspective. Um, a lot of things can be uh, have the appearance of being dire and being, you know, extremely important. But take some time to uh, get away from it all, gain some perspective, and, and take a deep breath. Until next time, gents. <laughs>